0: We finally made our way to chapter two of Mark. <laughs> we could be at this for a while. Uh, I mean, I think so. I think at this pace, at least maybe a year or two, we'll finally be done with this and be able to move on. And that's what it feels right, right? like. Uh, and, and truly, all jokes aside, it's kind of like uh, we're going to move like a snail through some of this. That's just how it is. This way we don't miss anything. Uh, sometimes the most beautiful gems are found in the tiniest places. They just are. I mean, and and I think as as a believer who loves Christ, who wants to know everything about him, I think it's our responsibility. I think it's our opportunity and our privilege to seek those little things out, to discover them, to feed on them. I mean, that's what they're there for, right? And sometimes I think my job is not to necessarily show you what you already know, but maybe more to shine light in places that you've already read, and maybe just show you what you've been missing. So while it might bring you revelation knowledge because that's my hope anytime I come up and preach is that to preach to you something maybe that God speaks to you about that's my hope but it's not the only purpose it's also to show you and maybe more to like reveal to some of you the infinite wealth or the infinite treasure that the bible holds so it reads different every time right like i, I don't know about you but i've been reading the bible for a long time now and it reads different every time and and the the i think the more i read it the more it becomes one book I don't, that sounds weird, right? But I mean, I mean, it is one book, but I mean, like, it's all continual. Like, it comes to the place where I, I know so much of, of Old Testament, New Testament, that I kind of weave them in when I need to weave them in. Because it's the same narrator. It's the same voice in the Old Testament that is the New Testament. It's the s- Same thing, so like especially when I was teaching at Faith Academy, I was teaching three days a week and I was having to come up with a Bible lesson three days a week and we were going through Matthew and then in here I think we were doing a few things uh, on Wednesdays and on Sundays that were different and all of a sudden I was like, man, I'm in the Bible like every day of the week and it's all for something new, Five, I got to come up with five different messages kind of thing And, and at that point it was getting more like anything I was preaching in here I don't know if you remember, but I kept quoting out of Matthew the whole time like every time I'd quote something, it'd come from Matthew because I was in Matthew three times out of the week. So I was like using whatever I was teaching on here and then quoting from Matthew because I'd been reading it so constantly. And I think that's the treasure of the Bible, to be able to see how it all links together, how, how it all appears together. And sometimes the only way you can see these things uh, that read different almost every time, the only, the only way is because truly the Bible is a living word. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any uh, two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We are supposed to be reading God's word on our own. And that should be a, a, a desire put there for our love of Christ. We should desire to read it because we love God. We, we, we should desire to read it because God loves us as well. It's a mutual thing here, right? When we read it, it has the ability to peel back, right, what has been broken, what has been messed up, right? It, it, it unlocks wisdom that we never knew or understood, right? It gives us what we need, and, and more importantly, when we need it. So today, that's my hope. I'm going to read a, like a really familiar passage of Scripture, but it's my hope that maybe give you a new way of looking at Scripture that engages your brain to use all of your senses when peering off into the Scripture and seeing what it's presenting. And if I can do this right, then maybe I can give you some kind of new insight, because here's the thing that, that I think I'm challenged by with this message that I'm going to preach to you today. I, and I'm actually excited to preach it, which I didn't think I would be, because to me, I've read this thing so many You ever read something so many times, like, I'm pretty much, I've gleaned everything I can glean out of it. And what I, I think wanted to share more than anything, like, I could try to give you, like, one of these little nuggets that I pulled out of it. And, and truthfully, I think I could have probably preached four different messages off the same set of scriptures. Uh, uh, but here's what I'd rather teach you. I'd rather teach you how to do that. I think there's wisdom in that. I think there's wisdom in teaching you like how pastors maybe or how people who teach the Bible, how they, how they look at things or how they see things. Now, I don't know how everybody else see things. I can only tell you how I see things. And it isn't the same every time. But I can tell you what I do to peel back a scripture and really take a look at it. And my hope is that I can make the Bible exciting for you again. And if you haven't picked it up in a while, that you will pick it up, read it, and see it in a new way. Maybe even slow down long enough to really see what's really happening. And that's my hope for today. So when we're gonna, I'm going to preach the message. I'm going I'm to talk about the narrative. But I'm going to talk about a lot more than that. And we're going to go through a little exercise in, in, in the, in the progress, in the whatever. Mark 2, verse 1. We're going to read 12 verses. Now, I read out of the New Living. You can read out of whichever translations you like. New Living, Mark 2, chapter 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what what, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? It's easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God at claiming we've never seen anything like this. Now this story is interesting because there are a lot of things going on. However, we see the narrative right. We see what we're supposed to see. We see what we're supposed to glean. The main focus of the story. It's simple. It's Jesus. He's front and center. Right, we see him healing people to such a degree that the multitudes of people they're flocking to hear him. I mean, the whole place is crowded. We can see all that. He's even caught the eye of the religious elite. I mean, at that point, they're sitting in the room as well. I mean, the Bible is very clear to make that point. I kind of think it's funny that Jesus came as a charismatic. Must have been really. It probably really upset all those who didn't believe uh, uh, in him or didn't believe that any of this was biblical or even possible. Right. And and, uh, and I think it's ironic today that the oh, that generation uh, could believe the more supernatural charismatic person than this generation can believe the most supernatural charismatic person. I think that's a strange thing that it was easier to believe then than it is now. Maybe because of technology, but whatever. So now we'll get back to the main focus point in, in just a minute because because that's that the main focus is Jesus sitting in the room, crowd of people, bringing down somebody else to heal. Pretty neat how it's happening. Uh, uh, and, and, and this, is, this is the main narrative. Real simple, all right? I, I threw a picture. Will you throw the picture up? It kind of gives us just this idea, right? Basic idea, right? And, and here's the thing. Is, I'm, I'm going to share with you something from time to time that when, when I meditate on the Word of God, it's something I do. I actually use my imagination, right? Now, Teenagers today, I know they struggle with that because they got phones and everything else. They don't have to have an imagination, but back in my day, you had to imagine stuff, right? Your friends didn't want to call you. Uh, you you kind of had to make sure that if, if they did call you, that you answer the phone and not your siblings because it could get weird, right? And, and, there's you know, you had to have your my, my mom and dad would, like, literally, like, or my mom really uh, would, like, shut us out and be like, go play outside, like, all day, like, all day. And and we'd, we'd build forts. We'd do all kinds of stuff. But we had to use our imagination. And so when I hear scripture like this, this is when I begin to imagine it, right? I paint the scene in my head. And, and then here I, next I kind of slow it, everything down. Like it's actually playing out. I see Jesus sitting there. I see him teaching. And I see the crowd outside the door. And I see people walking up with the stretcher, right? And they've got him. And I can see all that, right? And then it starts to slow itself down to where we pick up the... The the scripture talking about it right and I kind of pause it and I then I start to glance over it like a painting if you will I start studying every detail so much of it That it starts to tell its own story And this is how I process everything and this is what I want to show you how to do today So just bear with me. All right, we're gonna give this a shot. Close your eyes Close your eyes. You shouldn't be looking at me All right picture this moment Jesus in a room that is packed on the inside and outside. Can you see him there? It's crowded. See the people on the roof. They're tearing apart this clay roof to get the person into the room to be healed. Now pause it and open your eyes. Could you see it? Could you imagine it? All right, it's important. Now while it's paused, let's talk about it. Let's talk about all of it, all right? Let's back the whole scene up. I know what we're supposed to glean from it. You know what we're supposed to glean from it. I don't have to teach you something new. I'm going to show you something new. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stories happening in one story. And this is, this is a lot of times how pastors get messages. I guess this is what they do because this is what, this is what, that's all I know how to do, right? So let's start this way. As we're pausing and we're looking around, let's start with this guy. Let's start with this guy coming in. The man who's sick, but he's more than sick, isn't he? Right? He's not just like a little, I mean, this guy's paralyzed. All right? He has to rely on those who love him to do things for him. I mean, this isn't the day of electric wheelchairs either, or handicap accessible cars and businesses. This guy is a dead man if he doesn't have friends. I don't know too many cases where someone's really born paralyzed. And even looking it up, you can't find just a ton of cases where it's that way. So the assumption to me is that something has happened in his life at some time. Now this means that he must have had some kind of impression also upon the men who carried him this far. Can you see the face of this guy? This is his one chance. Come on, if the rumors are true about Jesus... This could be the one man who could give him back his legs. And listen, more than that, the ability to not depend on anyone else or anything else. The ability to take care of his family again. That, that doesn't revolve around begging. Begging. I mean, what, what, what job can he, it's not like today where we can find a handicap, you know, we, we got jobs where handicaps can do jobs, things like that, where we accommodate that, it's ain't like that back then. I mean, if you can see close enough, you can see the internal struggle, right, within him. He's talking to Joy about this, the fight between hoping to walk again and the reality that this might just be another man claiming to be what he's not. Oh, you, you never had faith like that where you thought, man, I'm going to hope that Jesus does this, but I'm going I'm, to, but I live in reality, so if it doesn't, I'm okay. Great faith, right? Sound familiar now, right? We've all been there. We've all been there where we hope God does something, but we're preparing our hearts in case he doesn't, right? Yeah, I mean, the feeling where you hope God is going to do something, but you prepare it, you please, Jesus, do this, but you know, if he doesn't, I'm going to be all right. And it's the same face you make, too. This face is the same face yours. Like, I'm hoping, but eh. And it's all over this paralyzed guy here. I hope you're taking notes on this, because that's, that's a whole point all by itself. I could teach just on the wavering faith of how we are at times, hoping for God to do this. and But yet, uh, you know, God, I'm ready for rejection if you decide to give us rejection. Because my belief really is my unbelief at the same time. This is where God is showing you that you're not alone in your doubt and disbelief at times. Humanity's lack of faith, listen, that's not nothing new. We could fix uh, uh, in this one moment and spend an entire 20 minutes talking about how we're spiritually paralyzed. I can make a whole analogy in this moment, how we're all spiritually paralyzed, how we all need Jesus, how our faith is always lacking, yet we got one foot in the door of Christ and believing He could do everything, and we got one foot in the world, seeing how the world is and the reality of the world, and keeping our foot in both so that we're grounded and tethered, so we never really get hurt, we never fully trust in God, and we never fully doubt Him either, and we we stand spiritually in between the two, and we're just paralyzed. And we never can live in the fullness of God and in His joy. We never, because we're always living half in the other. Or that's just one. That's just one thing we're looking at. Just as, as we're surveying the image here, you could be asking the question right now: If you even know four people that'd be willing to wreck a home to get you to see Jesus, do you? Do you know four people right now that will break out the backhoe and start knocking down some bricks? And make sure that you got to Jesus. Or would they be like, dude, we're going to have to pay for that dude's home. We're going to jail. The Romans are going to come get us and butcher us. You can't just be breaking into people's homes. Well, Jesus is there. I don't care who's there. Do you know four people like that? I think that'll preach by itself too. Think about it. This man's friends are willing to interrupt. Jesus, the very person they're going to see, and the crowd to make sure that their friend would just be in front of Jesus. Because this is a moment you can't pass up. And you could get in trouble. It's not exactly nice to dig holes in people's roofs. Just saying. Maybe this is the mark of a true friend. Maybe that's what the mark of a true friend is. How much of your friends do everything they can to drag you to Jesus? Do you have that kind of friend? Can you look up and begin to see their faces? And we can't see it on the picture, but in your mind, you can see up. You can see their heads peering through the hole. They got the rope around the back, and they're trying to lower him down. See the determined look on them? You can see them as they're, like, trying to hold his weight. They're tensed up, the neck's tensed. You can see the muscle striations in the neck and everything as they're holding. You can see the wrist all clenched and turning red, right? They've got to get him, not not just anything, to the top of the house. And that isn't easy, first of all. All right? I can tell you that I immediately go back to a time in Okinawa, Japan, where we had to do two weeks out in the jungle in the Marines. And one of the things that they had us do was we had to carry a guy on a homemade stretcher and, and carry him up like this like cliff of a hill. And so we all had to position ourselves on different sections holding a tree so that when he would come by we'd be able to grab this thing up and get him to get him straight up. And we had to strap him to the stretcher to get him up there. Now I don't know what they had to go through. What I'm telling you is it isn't easy. When somebody's fully limp and can't do anything, it's not easy to carry them anywhere. It was one of the hardest things that I know that I had to do. It's heavy, it's awkward, it's delicate because this is not just something you can throw up there like a sack of potatoes. This is a person, right? You got to make sure they don't fall. He could break something, he could seriously get hurt, right? It's exhausting, but here they are. They're carrying this man up to the top of the roof. It's not their first choice, by the way, but the place is packed, right? They can't, nobody like, this is our plan. We're going to open this roof up, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to dig a hole, and this is is the plan. No, that's not the plan. The plan is to go through the front door. That's easier, all right? The front door is the first choice, but it's packed. They look around. It looks like every door is closed, right, because there's nowhere else to take him. Well, I guess we can't do it, right? They look for other options. Nope. Um, can I tell you that most people right now would say it must not be the Lord's will? Where can I get him into the house? Well, I can't go through the door. I mean, there's too many people around any windows or anything. I can't, there's no way to get you in, brother. There's no way. And so they just stop. They would stop, right? But not these men, right? They make a way. Even when there isn't one, they start to dig out the clay and mud bricks until there's a big enough hole to lower the man in. I hope you're taking notes. I don't know. Can you relate to it? When it seems that every door is shut, do you just quit? Do you just stop in your tracks and go, I guess that's it. That's the Lord. must be His will. Or do you press through? Is there anyone in your life that will bring this side out of you? This guy had friends. This guy had the kind of friends that does whatever it takes to get you in. Right? By the way, I think if you're a parent, you should understand this. There are some people that are worth it right? You would do it for your kid, right? Right. We should understand this. This is not nothing new here. And the thing is, is we should do it for everyone, right? Because, man, this is who Jesus Christ died for. He died for all of us. He did it for everyone, right? We should have that feeling towards all, not just those who, our own blood, those who we birthed into this world. It should be bigger than that, right? But can I tell you something? Is there a better image of church than these four men? Now, I could preach right here. How about we just, I could stop right here and just start preaching about how these four men, there's no better image of what church is than these four men. Men who will do whatever it takes to bring you to Jesus. I'm going to your, oh, I'm paralyzed, brother. I can't walk. Well, I'm coming to your house. Well, there's nothing to carry me in. I'm about to take my shirt off, shove two rods down your, by the way, that's how we did it in the Marine Corps. We just shove two rods right down in there. It goes right through the sleeves. I'm going to make a stretcher. Well, how many, man, there's only it's just you, man. How am I gonna get there? Hang on. I'm gonna call three of my friends. We're gonna get you over here. Wait about five minutes. Here they come, they're showing up the door. What are we doing? Man, we're about to go take this guy to Jesus. All right, let's go. By the way, I've been with pastors, one of the pastors in Terrell. uh we don't do we don't see this kind of guys anymore, but I love him. Pastor Lonnie Harris, where when we tell stories about how Pastor Harris is and 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 stuff, you've heard some stories in here in Terrell, but I've literally been with pastor harris where he goes you ready yeah let's go and we literally jump out of the truck run in the bar go grab the guy sitting on the stool because we know him we know he shouldn't be in there and we go grab him drag him back to his house i've been part of that (laughs) i keep waiting like we're in the days we're gonna we're just gonna get shot or something like this is crazy stuff but when the pastor calls you says hey we're going to a bar to drag a guy out you get up you go to the bar and you drag a guy out awesome stuff these four guys, man, all right, all four of us, let's go. We're taking him. We get up there, and I love the attitude here. Well, there's nothing. how are we going to get in, man? I don't know, what we're getting in, so this, the, that, that question's over. That's not the question. Qu- the question is let's just get it done. How do we get it done? Well, there's the windows. Let's take a look. All right. Worst-case scenario, guys, we go to the top. We look on the top. There's nothing Then I'm digging holes. You ready? Pull the rods back out of that stretcher because we're going to bust that roof right open. We're gonna make this thing happen. We are gonna get this guy in front of Jesus. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, right? This is the church, right? They're interceding on behalf of others. They give themselves to the work of bringing people to Jesus. And now the hole's been dug, and they're lowering down, right, to the shock of everyone in the room, right? I got to think it was probably weird. How many of you would have been the person that while Jesus was talking, you really would like to focus on him, but you can't because there's stuff trickling down from the ceiling? Like, you keep thinking, like, does he notice... There's like some big rocks coming out of that thing. <laughs> I wonder if he sees that. You know, you don't know talk about. Some of you are that guy. Like something's going on on the side while I'm talking. You're like more. You got that's got your attention. You can't help it. Like I'm distracted immediately, and I'm going to talk about it, right? <clears throat> and the and the weird thing is, all of a sudden, you're watching it, and what started as a few things started shaking up. and All of a sudden, there's a skylight in the in the roof where there wasn't a skylight before. Right. And, and they've done it, right? They've placed their friend in front of Jesus, and here's the moment of truth. And Jesus doesn't disappoint either. It's all worth it, right? He, they, they put him right in front, and it's all worth it. Seeing their faith is what the Bible says. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, did he pray the sinner's prayer? <laughs> Which is a joke, by the way, right? Because it's not in the Bible. Did he pray, Lord, forgive me? Did he pray any of those things? God sees the heart, and the irony of this situation being said first. There's that. That's also coming up. This is another point now. So we we walked through two points, right? The points uh, that we talked with with the paralyzed man. I could have done a whole sermon just off that, right? Being spiritually paralyzed, we could have done a whole sermon. We could have we could have grabbed that nugget that talked about the four men being like the church, and we could have expounded on it and really like just just wrap scripture around it and really develop that and talked about that for another sunday and then right here all of a sudden jesus says my child your sins are forgiven last i saw he had said nothing yet god sees the heart right and, and on top of that here's how you know that's what's happening in the room that god is seeing through the things that we don't say right Because if you pause it right here, Jesus knows who's listening. As a matter of fact, verse 8 says that he knew what the other people in the room were thinking. Jesus doesn't lead with stand up and walk. No, he leads with your sins are forgiven. He exposes who else is in the room. Enter now the Pharisees. I don't know. I'm going to make these up. Maybe there's these guys in here. I don't know. They've come to catch Jesus trying to slip up, or at least they're hopeful, right? They don't say anything, and I think we miss that because we hear words. When we think about the situation, because Jesus, listen, it says he hears what they were thinking, and this is what they were thinking. He puts their thoughts into words, right? When we read verse 6 and 7, we think that they're saying it out loud, but that isn't happening. They thought it, and verse 8 reveals a dialogue within the heart of these men but there were no words that were said out loud. Now, when we read that, we read it as if they'd said it. But that's not the truth. The truth is they never said it. That the man was lowered down. The first words out of Jesus' mouth is, Man, by your, I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven. And the conversation takes back in the head now of these Pharisees. Something is not right here. Is this blasphemy? What is this? Jesus knows... He knows what they're thinking. And listen, he knows what you're thinking too, right? You don't have to say it because he sees your heart. There is nothing you can hide from him. Every thought, every imagination is captured by Christ. No one else heard what these men were thinking either. No one else heard this. But Jesus exposed it in front of everyone. The seed of doubt was veiled in their hearts. They didn't like throw that out there for anybody else to hear. They had had doubt already here. And Jesus exposed it and he corrected it. He already knows the story of the paralyzed man with his four friends. He doesn't need them to say a word. He knows what the paralyzed man is going through. He knows the heart of that man. He knows the heart of the four individuals that are lowering this thing down. Right? Just like he knows the thoughts of those who are in the room with him. They didn't ask forgiveness, but Jesus can see it in their hearts. And with the same supernatural vision that he sees into these Pharisees, he also sees into the hearts of these men, right? And you know what else he exposes? He exposes our unbelief. See, we could have talked right there. There was a third one right there. Do you see that? We could have talked about how much Jesus just sees the heart, how much Jesus addresses stuff that nobody ever sees, but Jesus sees it. And oftentimes, everybody else is wondering, like, when Jesus is saying this, remember, when he, when, remember out loud, he's talking out loud uh, uh, during this time where it says he hears their thinking, and this is their thinking. He goes, why do you disbelieve, right? And, and like, if you're somebody else in you're going, nobody said nothing. Nobody said anything. Who, who's got disbelief in here? Why are you in the room if you got disbelief, right? Jesus addressing people. Like, that's an awkward scenario, right? But he sees the heart, right? That's a whole not- We could have, like, dug in just stood right there right and right here he also exposes our disbelief jesus said that the man's sins were forgiven but that would seem impossible to these doubting men after all by what authority can he do it they weren't about to just take him as his word so jesus gives them what they understand and truthfully what we crave for and this is the part about our heart right this, that that struggles he gives them a sign he heals the man You can't believe that I can forgive sins, so what? If I just show you I heal this man, will that be good for you? And he shows our disbelief to just take him at his word. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the truth is, secretly, isn't that what we want? We all want a sign. God, share with me your will. Show me your way. But what I'm really saying, God, is I need you to actually do it for me so I can know that it's you. I need somebody to physically come open that door, God, so that when I don't see the window and I don't see the doors and everything looks packed where I can't get in, God, that you'll physically, like, something will fall down and make a hole in the roof because I need that sign, God. I can't believe. I mean, that's just the truth, guys. We all look for a sign, right? Because sometimes Jesus' word to us is just not good enough for us. And this is a revelation to our small faith and the giant amount of unbelief we have in our heart. I mean, how many of you has ever told God something, and you still doubt today that He'll do it? Has God? I mean, like you ever had like where somebody spoke something over you, you're like I still haven't seen it. I don't even know. Like, and you kind of you kind of keep just like the paralyzed man—you got one foot in, in hope and one foot in doubt. And you're spiritually paralyzed, and you just kind of like chalk that vision up as ain't never going to happen. Because <laughs> we want some kind of sign and wonder to prove something to us. You can't just believe. Which should tell you something about your heart, and rather than learn something about your own heart, you lust for a sign. And when you should be praying and crying, like uh, uh, like the crying father in Mark nine, who, when confronted by Jesus about anything being possible, uh, if a person can believe, he cried out, "I do believe," and then he said this, "But help me in my unbelief." You know, I think that's probably one of the most profound statements in all the Bible. Because right here, I'm gonna tell you the the paralyzed man struggles with this right here in this moment. Right, the four g- guys. Luckily, they like conquered that. When they started smashing in the hole in the roof, they conquered this whole unbelief part. No, we will do all of our part. We will make the way, and we will present it before Christ and see what He does. Right, but most of us struggle here. I believe Jesus. Help me in my belief. In the end, the results of the room are the same as those who. Toward down the roof, they were all amazed, and they all praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, I could have easily made this passage of Scripture four weeks long, right? I just gave you, like, four good points, right? And, I, and, I, and we talked about four different things, and truthfully, it might be wiser to even spend uh, a, a, every Sunday us, like, hitting one of those points. But what I want you to see, and, like, when we look at something like that, right? And you can, you can click play, and in your imagination, you see it all unfold, right? And the story is still the same. It's all centered around Christ, which is what you were supposed to see in the first place. The, the difference in teaching you how to pause it and look around the room. And, and bring this back to humanity because I think, I think what it is is like either whether we've read too many books or we've read too many fiction or read too many documentaries or biographies. Things that seem so far removed from us or so far past us that we come to the place where things just aren't real anymore. They somehow lose their humanness. And that's where I struggle. Because the place, I think the one, the one thing or maybe it's a gift from God to bring the humanity back to the Bible the reason I can see four points is not because I see four points that are teachable. I see the humanity in the process. I see the paralyzed man as a human being. Sitting there and messed up and wishing he could walk again. Right? I've met people in wheelchairs. I promise you, if, they could, if Jesus would touch them today and let them walk again, they would be happy to walk again. Not to say that they haven't like, moved on or believed by faith that God's going to do something or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, is that you can understand the plight. It's not like we're that far removed. These four individuals, we're not far removed from finding people who are that strong in the Lord who would help us get to Jesus no matter what. And hopefully, hopefully you will know at least four people in your life that would do this for you. as It's humans. It's not some story that's told just a long time ago. This is an actual real story by actual human beings. Everybody in the room is normal. That's why you laugh when I said the one person that was distracted because something was coming down while Jesus was talking. There's always that one person in the room. It's funny. Why? Because we've been there. You know, like the fly that just keeps flying around, and you know, lands on you. Like, so busy laughing at that, like, does he even know it? You know, like, eh. you like tune, you tune out for about five minutes, looking at something else. You can't help it because, but that's what I'm saying. You know, why that's funny because we all do it. Do you think they're different? You don't think somebody kind of giggled a little bit when the roof started to make a hole? I mean, put humanity back in the Bible. Put the humanity back in the Bible. These are stories of people's lives. And they're not fake. This is a historic story. It's a true story. So let's, let's, let's open our eyes. So as we read, right? When you read the Bible, we are, we're gonna, I'm going to preach on something next Sunday, and I'm going to preach the next Sunday for that. Those, those things are fine. But when you read the Bible, right? Soak it in. You know, I'm, I'm all about the whole read a Bible in a year. All that stuff is great, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't gain anything from reading the Bible in a year, slow down. There are people that will never read more, especially in other countries, never read more than maybe the Gospel of John in their life, but they'll be able to quote it. Powerful, powerful life. They know it backwards and forwards. You know what I'd rather have you? I'd rather have you slow down and see the fullness of God's Gospel and God's glory. Listen, don't be in a hurry when you read. Soak that stuff up. See the whole picture. Close your eyes. That, you know, that's what I had to do this week. I didn't know what I was going to preach on. As crazy as that is, like, I, I had like, no idea. I was like, how am I going to make this text something new for them? I guess this is, how, this is one of the reasons I pick uh, teaching a book rather than having a topical sermon. I'm always scared that I will make it whatever I want to talk about. And, and it's easy for me to walk back into a soapbox. So I pick books. To force myself to learn and to grow and to teach you something and, and and us know the Bible. That's more important than you knowing like topically what is good and bad in your life. Like it's just, it's more important at the end of the day. And if you can read the Bible like this, because what happened for me is I had to go, okay, stop. And I did the same thing I taught you. I closed my eyes and I played this moment out and I was watching the whole scene take place. And I was like, okay, stop. And I paused it, you know. And I got this whole thing going off in my head where I can kind of see the thing, and I, and I, like, twist it up. All right, all right, I'm looking through the hole. I'm coming to the top of the hole. I'm looking at these men. I look at the guys. He's being lowered down in there. I'm looking at his face, and I'm thinking, man, what would it be like to be in his shoes? Well, I, again, I don't know. He could totally be full of faith, but I know who I am. So I apply humanity, my humanity to him. And what do I think? I think, well, this is something I struggle with. I struggle with believing, okay, I'm paralyzed, God. I'm going to trust you with my being Paralyzed. But let's face it, I do want to walk, God. But I'm also rooted in reality. There's a piece of me that's going to say, God, if you never heal me, I'm going to serve you forever. So there's a piece of me that wants to, and so I see that. So I apply it to him, and I go, man, now I have compassion for that man in a different way I didn't have before. And then all of a sudden, I fast forward, like, do I even know four guys that would drag me out? I hope so. I hope so. That are crazy enough to just get in trouble. Let's go to jail together for Jesus. Like, we're busting down the door to get to this guy who's going to heal? Yes, I hope so. And then I started thinking about how that, man, that's such the church. That's how we all need to be. We need to be like these four. I started thinking about that, right? So I chunked that away. Okay, that's, I could teach about that. That's good. Oh, then I start reading, huh? looking at how Jesus, oh, man, he, look at he was doing while they were thinking. Man, that had to be awkward. It's like, Jesus, who are you talking to? Like, you're this healing thing, and then you're acting angry. Like, where does that coming from? Ain't nobody said nothing to you, bro. Calm it right? But, but Jesus, he knows what they're thinking, man. He knows what they're thinking. And so like there's this, I was like, man, that's good too. So what do you teach on? You know what I, what I thought in that moment? What's more important than teaching you something and just hanging on to that knowledge so I can somehow impress you that maybe giving you how I'd come up with that or how I saw that so that you could do that for yourself. And I thought that's more Jesus than anything. How about I teach you how to fish? How about I teach you how to, to, to deconstruct the Bible so that you can see for yourself and you can glean those, those diamonds and gold nuggets for yourself, right? Because isn't that, at the end of the day, isn't that what God wants from us? I mean, like, listen, if you love Jesus, you're going to want to mine that treasure all by yourself. You want to read the Bible, you want it to open up, and you want it to come alive. Well, to do that, guys, you've got to slow down. And you've got to start to see these moments and start to apply humanity to them. It's more than just a story. It's always about Jesus. If I was going to talk about being spiritually paralyzed, it would be about Jesus. But it'd be how much we lack in our depravity and how uh, unbelieving we are, and yet how grateful and gracious Jesus is. If I was going to talk about the four men and being like Jesus, I would talk about, Lord, how can we become more like your image, more like you who came and were willing to die for us, like these men, willing to make sure that whatever it takes, you are going to help save this man. Jesus is just like that. And I would talk about how that image would all be like Christ. I would talk about thinking in the heart, how the heart, I would talk again once more about how the heart's depraved and how badly we need Christ. And Christ, in that moment, calls our depravity out. Our doubtfulness and our, our lack of faith and our lack of transparency and being honest and our shame because we're too afraid to say something out loud how we feel. This is why I like about Peter a whole lot more than I like about the religious leaders. They kept all that stuff to themselves. At least Peter said it out loud. And it all comes back to Jesus. So it's not about teaching something topical here. It's all about teaching Christ, right? We could have hit on every detail and everything, but the point today was to show you how to look into Scripture and see beyond just the main narrative. Not that it takes away from the main narrative. It is the narrative. And I'm trying to show you how to unfold truth so that it becomes timeless. Because, listen, I didn't make... It's always been there. All that truth has been sitting there just waiting for you. And you know what? Another year will go by, I'll read that again, and something new will stick out. Because it just keeps living. And as my heart draws closer to God, God widens my eyes and widens my view, and I see the Scriptures like I've never seen them before. And as I draw closer to Him, I draw closer to the truth that He wants to reveal. There are a lot of things to grasp today. Whether the viewpoint of the paralyzed man to the four warriors that carried in there to Jesus seeing to the hearts of things to exposing our unbelief in our own hearts. But whatever stung you this morning, if any one of those things stood out to you, that was what you were supposed to hear this morning. That's what you should be investigating this morning. You should pick up that little nugget I just handed you and figure out how to make it more. You should take that little nugget and see if you can't multiply it. Go find other scriptures that stung you like that one and develop that and mine that and dig that. Will you grab joy and mine that out and dig that out? That's what I want to show you this morning, what we don't do well enough. And I don't know if it's a pride thing with preachers. I I, I realize like as of this week, like I never do that. I never like show anybody like how I do it. Like even in discipleship, when I disciple people, I'm like, read your Bible, study through it. Write notes, journal, and I teach a lot of stuff like that. But, like, when I ever, like, really show anybody, like, how I do it, uh, maybe because I think it sounds corny, this whole close your eyes, imagine this. But literally, that's what I did this week. Because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to bring you a good word? I mean, like, it's, it's not that it's not a good word. Don't, don't hear me that, but, like, you've heard it. There was a point where I'd heard the woman at the well store so many times, like, I am not preaching on it. I've heard that sermon, like, seven times this year, and I am not going to preach on the woman on the well. I'm sick of hearing about it. You know, I, and it sounds bad, like I'm sick of hearing about the Bible, but it's just like you hear something so much, and there's only so much, it's like the same message over and over and over, which I believe any truth worth saying once is worth repeating. But that's how we can get, and if we're not careful, it does become mundane to us, and it does somehow slip by us. M- my thing is, is how do we keep m- looking at the Scripture, and keep it re- revolves around staying living. This is what I do. And for me, it's like always a shocker. Like I ain't going to last to read through and going, man. And, and, and truthfully, if I can't preach you a message that doesn't convict me, am I ever going to throw conviction towards you? Right? You don't think I'm convicted? I mean, the first thing I saw, like I said, I applied my humanity to the paralyzed man. It's me that struggles with being in faith in one minute and doubting the next. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Right? The four warriors there that lower in the hole, I want to be that guy. There are times in my life where I've gotten to be that guy. I've got to be the guy who pulled people right off the bar stool and thought, man, this is awesome. I was too young to know kind of what I was doing or that it could be harmful. Or maybe I was too, uh, I was not godly enough to maybe think like, I actually thought well, we might actually get in a fight. <laughs> totally not a good thing for a pastor to be doing, but I wasn't a pastor. The time. But it doesn't matter. We went in to rescue him. The guy serving Jesus today. I know a lot of guys have come from jail serving Jesus today. And sometimes that's what they needed. They needed somebody willing to go into the places that are hard to get to pull them right back out. So to me, like I looked at these guys, it's like, man, these are guys that I hope to be like. I hope to be the guy who rips open roofs to go take people to Jesus. I hope I get to be that guy. And then there's, and then there's the, if you move on, it's the same stuff. You're just going to find me heavily convicted. You're going to find me all of a sudden, uh, uh, my depravity on full display here about how much I, really I'll say in my head and Jesus will call me out. I've said it before many times in here that I've had whole conversations with God. And you know what it reveals to me every time? How much I want to be right more than I want to listen to truth. And some of the conversations I've had with the Holy Spirit where I'm like talking to myself is what it feels like. I'll be like, God, but what about this God and this God? And it's like the Holy Spirit starts pulling scriptures. Yeah, but you're called to love and you're called to da-da-da-da. And, and like I've literally found myself saying before to the Holy Spirit going, can you shut up for one second? And just let me be right. I'm just saying I treat, my whole, I treat the Holy Spirit like I treat my wife and that's not right either because sometimes I just want my wife to let me be right that doesn't make it right that's just the truth you're laughing because you were late <clears throat> mm-hmm. right in the same way I treat the Holy Spirit you know what but there's some side of that that's good why? Because I treat it like it's a real living person. And I still believe that Jesus is alive today. And I still believe that Jesus disciples people today. That if we'll get out of the way a little bit, we don't have to teach and guide. If we'll just become more of a guide than a teach because Jesus still disciples people today. He feeds their hunger. He feeds their thirst. I don't. The Holy Spirit does. If I'll just get out of the way and let it kind of happen and trust the, the process, that he'll do it. But what does it show when I, when I have these conversations with God that I lack? faith, that I doubt, that I have unbelief, that I struggle with things, right? That's how I'm able to apply humanity, my own humanity to certain stories and pull something out. Why? Because I see it in myself. And if I can be honest about that and you can be honest about that, how much more will you see the word just come alive to you? Amen? We're going to close out with some worship, and as we close out in worship, we'll close out in prayer and everything. But these are the things to think about. anything that stung you during this process, man, these are the things to be singing about to the Lord. And that way we can be honest before him. you guys to stand with me.